0: Hello and welcome to the Light From Light podcast. My name is Brother Thomas Therese. I'm a Dominican friar in a son of the English province. And today I'm joined in my humble abode uh, by a good friend, uh, Jonathan. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Jonathan. Thank you. Uh, do you want to say a little bit about yourself? Like, who are you? Where are you from? What do you do? Um, so I'm
1: I'm from Hereford, but I study in um, St. Mary's University in, in Twickenham, doing
0: a theology undergraduate so in my second year. Excellent. Well, if if somebody was to say to you, why should I study theology? What would you say?
1: Um, Well, it's a broad subject. So you do, you can have anything from languages, history, philosophy, all these things are encompassed by it, which is just generally very interesting. Yeah. Um, And it's very good, I think, in understanding the faith more.
0: Yeah. 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 I always found that it would help sort of help distinguish those things which come from god and those things which do not come from god Mm -hmm. and to i mean gk chesterton said you can either have thought that is well thought out or you can have not well thought out thought Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I find today when it comes to uh, all sorts of debates i mean everybody's got an opinion on god everybody's got an, an opinion on on religion everybody's got uh opinion on various philosophical debates that are happening But not many people have actually sat down and seriously thought about these things and have actually well thought out thought, Uh, particularly in in the case of religion. I think people very often have a superficial understanding of it, uh, which is often misleading or sometimes just downright wrong. Uh, (laughs) Precisely. (laughs) Not only is it interesting, but also it's beneficial for your soul. And yeah, anyway so today we are obviously we're in november and in november we remember especially the holy souls uh the holy souls in purgatory and so we're going to talk a little bit about purgatory i think that's what i promised in my last uh in my <laughs> last reflection um I, I haven't forgotten the promise that i made to you about about an episode on pius the 12th it's being prepared it says so, <laughs> so many promises so many promises thomas come on um, yeah. So it's probably worth saying a little bit about what is purgatory and why is it good? Why is it a good thing? What is it? Uh, what can it teach us about the nature of God and things like that? So uh, probably the first thing that I want to say about purgatory is that it's a mystery of love. And right from the outset, I'll I'll just say that if you want to learn more about purgatory, I mean, you can go to the catechism. There's also a really fantastic book um, called Purgatory, a Mystery of Love, which you can get from the Catholic Truth Society for under five pounds. You can also read Space Salve, which has a little bit out there on Purgatory, which is a space. is an encyclical written by Pope Benedict XVI, one of the finest uh, theologians of our time. Uh, He was a paratist at the Second Vatican Council. He obviously later became Pope, Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, he worked for the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith for, for, for a long time, which is uh, one of the serious sort of teaching offices uh, of the church. Yeah, and he offered this apostolic letter or this encyclical called Space Salve, which is about Christian hope. Uh, he also wrote another one of my favourite encyclicals, Deus Caritas Est, which is about charity. Yes. Anyway, on with talking about purgatory. Purgatory is, as one of the books I recommended says, is a mystery of love. Why there is a purgatory is because of God's mercy and because God loves us so much. So purgatory is a final purification of the elect. If somebody makes it to purgatory, (laughs) then they are saved and the end of purgatory is heaven. So it's a place for those of us who are imperfect when we die, yet nevertheless we still die in a state of friendship with God. We die in a, fr- a state of friendship with God, but we're purified of any imperfections that we have before entering heaven. If there are any sort of penances that we have neglected to do, then you know we have this, this time of of purification. And it's precisely because... There may be something that we that we owe to the Lord that we haven't given, that we might still be dying in in a state of friendship with Him, but there might still be something more that we that we owe to Him, and Purgatory gives us that chance. So it may be that something is still owed in in restitution. I mean, I remember saying to you, Jonathan, the other day about you know, if you take up cricket, if you start playing cricket in my room and you smash my window. I, you know, I'd forgive you. Obviously, I'd forgive you. But it may be that I ask you also to pay for the window, right? Now, St. Paul, I think in Colossians, I think, talks about making up for what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. Now, this isn't saying that Christ's sacrifice isn't perfect. It is a perfect sacrifice. But that It comes back to how God wills to save us. He wills to save us in such a way that we participate in our salvation, that we have something to offer. And there's a great dignity that comes with being asked to be co-workers in our salvation, to work out our our salvation in fear and trembling. Uh, I remember also saying to you about, you know if i get into i don't know financial debt and the queen comes along and offers to pay my debt fantastic isn't it wonderful yes she, she pays off my debt but then if the, if the queen also says you know i'd like to work with you in this i mean what a great dignity that comes from that and how exciting would that be and that's that's the sort of relationship that catholics believe that that we have uh with the lord that he wills us to participate in our salvation to work with him he saves us in a way which moves our freedom and moves our reason to participate in his life and in his mission as Christians and this gives us a, a great dignity. But also this means then that if there is, you know, like the the the, the price for the for the window being broken and, and, and things like that, even though we have been forgiven, you might say to your, your parents and say, you know, you know, Mum and Dad, you know, sorry, you know, I, I'm I'm a student. I can't, you know, I can't I can't pay for the window. I need I need your help. And and they would help you, right? And we as people who perform acts of charity and prayer and fasting and almsgiving and things we then can uh, associate ourselves with the holy souls in purgatory and we can make expiation for the sins that they have committed uh, that they haven't made expiation for in this life so just to be ultra clear purgatory then is a place for people who die in friendship with god who still need final purification but purgatory too comes to an end Purgatory comes to an end and the end of purgatory is heaven. Everybody who is in purgatory will become a great saint in the kingdom of heaven. It's not that purgatory lasts, lasts forever. Purgatory is not eternal like hell is eternal. Purgatory is not eternal like heaven is eternal. Purgatory passes. And there's a sort of subjective element to purgatory nobody has sort of said whether or the church has not definitively said that it's a sort of place with time or anything like that they haven't really described it like that they describe it in terms of it being like a state so there's something sort of subjective about it that you experience in your soul and there is an end to purgatory the end of purgatory is heaven nobody stays in purgatory forever That that's not the case.
1: It's I think it's a very common misunderstanding. I think especially with our Protestant brothers and sisters who don't hold the teaching of purgatory, as they should do, but they don't. (laughs) Um is that it is it's a third option, it's the middle state, or that it is a state where it's kind of the waiting room before they get judged, it's another one that I've heard, which again isn't the case. The judgment's been done. They're going to heaven. This is the 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 road you take.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you die and I mean, death in the Catholic understanding is simply the separation of the soul from the body and your soul is eternal. It's not, you know, that, that the soul is sort of annihilated or that you just stop existing. You carry on existing. It's just that your soul is separated from your body. Right. And at the moment of death, you know how your life has measured up to the life of Christ. You know whether your fate is heaven, hell or purgatory. And you're you're absolutely right. Well, heaven or hell or heaven via purgatory, to be specific. (laughs) Very good point. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah.
1: God's judgment isn't eternal purgatory. Yes, Yes, ever.
0: Yeah. The purgatory has an end. It has a destination. It has a goal that you're reaching. And actually, this is something that Newman and Fulton Sheen, Newman talks about the flame of everlasting love and uh, being in in the presence of the Lord and things and meeting the Lord upon your death. You see him face to face right when you're in heaven. You have the beatific vision. You participate in his creative love for all things. And you know yourself in uh, a more perfect way, which itself, you know, sounds very purgative, doesn't it? You know, and you know him as he is. And purgatory the sort of pain uh, that, that one talks about, the, the expiating sort of pain that one talks about in purgatory, the venerable Fulton Sheen says that it's like a longing. You know, like this is my own analogy now, you know, like Christmas day when you're a kid and you're looking forward to Christmas day, it's Christmas Eve, you're really excited, and you know it's coming and you, you, know, you wanna be able to open your presents at midnight and your parents say, no, no, you gotta wait till the morning. And it's like that, you have such a longing uh, or at least I did when I was a child I had such a longing for that future reality then and there that it was akin to a sort of pain uh, in a similar way then in heaven uh, heaven being like christmas where christ it becomes present to you in a full and, and in uh, in a full and immediate way so that sort of longing that you have in purgatory i that's how i i sometimes think of it um but well,
1: if, if we now you know, i think i think everyone knows that i think everyone has that longing for justice and love and so on now you know that's something that we really long for if in purgatory we know that the judgment is that we're going to heaven we're going to want it even more knowing that it's going to be coming Yes. it's even fuller then than it is yeah. now and people are ready to get in wars and fight over each other for wanting love and justice and so on yeah it's an even more intense experience than in purgatory
0: Surely, but i just find it really yeah. a, a, a strange sort of oddity when i think about jerusalem mm. jerusalem of course meaning city of peace and that the fields of armageddon that are outside the city of jerusalem are very very fertile plains yes um and there's actually, I always find it quite funny that you know when the the battle happens at the end of at the end of time between the forces of good and evil on the on the plains of Armageddon. Well, they're going to have to knock down the motorway first because there's a motorway at the moment that runs through the middle of it.
1: I think that's what's causing. The- that's what's yes. causing it's <laughs> the motorway. Yeah, um, traffic is good for no
0: one. <laughs> I think there's there's a, a metaphysical or, or or a yeah a, a a certain truth there that's sort of saying even at the end of time people are going to be fighting. Uh, you know, the forces of good and evil will fight over there yes. over the uh the, the fields of Megido uh, the, those fertile plains Very, It's symbolic There's a great symbol there I forgot the point Of me telling you that now uh, Oh yeah uh, I find it quite ironic That Jerusalem The city of peace is Has so often been The cause of such conflict And even in our own time today Well because
1: everyone's Got their own understanding Of what peace looks like
0: mm-hmm. And
1: they're going to fight For their own version of it And
0: you're entitled To know what my version of peace is exactly. And I'm going to give you My version of peace Precisely <laughs>
1: yeah. But in purgatory You know what the true peace is Yeah And suddenly everyone's Now longing for for the same thing that pain is going to be mm-hmm. intense but it's going to be wonderful because you know what's coming it's that that excitement, exactly that build-up as it, as you were saying yeah
0: like on Christmas day yeah. how that different differs then with hell just to maybe have a slight note uh attached here on hell mm. uh I really like uh what... winter and never Christmas oh, <laughs> oh yes excellent carrying on with the uh with Nolly. I, I like that <laughs> always winter but never Christmas yeah. Um, that's a very that's a good a, a good way to phrase it. I think actually that reminds me of Dante's inner inner circle of hell where the devil is the sort of pathetic creature staring into a mirror mm. in a sort of ice box because it's so mm. devoid of love. Um, yeah. yeah, So I mean, how I how I often talk about hell is like in terms of C.S. Lewis uh, and um, it being a room locked from the inside. Uh, And we all have have had those friends who it doesn't matter how often you try to help them and you try and break through that door. Another barrier goes up. There's always a reason as to why they can't accept your help. Right. And that's a similar thing, I think, with with people who uh, make that final definitive turning away from the God who is love. If if God is love and if God is is the creative word and if God is. if God is the source of all goodness, truth, and beauty, well, if you definitively shut your door to God, then you're sh- definitively shutting the door to goodness, truth, and beauty, and definitively shutting your door to true love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's obviously going be, gonna to be the most painful thing. And sometimes, so this gives me another way of understanding purgatory. Sometimes it can be difficult to accept the love of another, and it's humbling and it's emotional to know that somebody loves you as you are, it can be actually a very painful experience. And so I wonder also if if purgatory is also akin to something like that. Uh, When we're talking about purgatory, of course, we're talking about metaphysical realities. So all of the images that we use, even images like fire, they're all uh, metaphorical sort of illustrations designed to clutch or grasp at some sort of truth about it but it's n- by no means exhaustive or literal uh, it's something which uh, is describing a metaphysical truth a metaphysical reality
1: I, mean, the, I think the main one of the main distinctions at least between hell and purgatory is hell is though of course described in similar language of
0: fire and, so and that apart that. from it being eternal as deter-
1: well. yes exactly but also in in hell we are void of all things from god so love, charity, hope, and all of these wonderful things we can experience. But you can still experience those in purgatory, as it is a precursor of heaven. So there mm-hmm. is still hope. Otherwise, you wouldn't be hoping for heaven. But in purgatory, you hope for heaven because you know you're going there. Oh, interesting. And so you're not going to be isolated in purgatory. It's not this big oh, kind of yes. on your own voids. It's terrifying. On oh, <laughs> <own.
0: laughs> i just slip something
1: in. It's just filled with this hope. In I can't remember which saint it was because I wasn't planning on mentioning it at all. But now, yeah, here we are. Who had the the vision of purgatory, where Our Lady would come and give sustenance to the souls in purgatory? Oh, yeah. So that's yeah. I can't. Remember. I can't remember which which saint it is, but I yeah. I remember that and she and she would come over and give some sort of nourishment. Constellation. Yes, and we have an experience. You know, of course, we have you know these experiences of the saints and so on now, and we do feel there is some nourishment yes. we get from Our Lady's intercessions. Yeah. Even now, but even more so in purgatory where. Yeah. You see her giving this nourishment, at least according to this saint. Hope is greater, even if the suffering feels greater. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And there is that tradition. I remember the the um, hearing the story. It might also be an apocryphal story of the same saint mm. that she would come especially on Saturdays, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because you know Saturday being you know the the feast of Our Lady. But of yeah. course, with all of these things, you know, uh, time is a very interesting thing when you're thinking, considering eternity and time and purgatory. Yes. I mean, purgatory and time is a very sort of complicated thing to try and understand. And most people would sort of say, well, actually um purgatory isn't really the sort of thing that that could be considered in terms of time i mean maybe we just Mm. don't particularly know but there may be something that's being expressed true there about the sort of saturdays sort of thing uh in terms of our reality here and now so anyway sort of moving moving on from what purgatory is to a quote from the book of maccabees the classic yeah Yeah. so in the book of maccabees we have judas maccabeus who sort of leads a revolt and in the revolt uh people are fighting on behalf of the lord and um they commit a sin and a very serious sin at that especially in the old testament you hear about you hear about idolatry and how idolatry is so serious and of course it's serious for us christians too idolatry is one of the worst sins that you can commit and what they realize is these people who fought and died for the Lord have committed this terrible sin and haven't been able to make expiation for their sins. And actually, it's a, it, the, what's attributed as the reason for their death is this great sin. So even though they fought on behalf of the Lord, they die on behalf of the Lord because of this sin. And what is Judas's, what's Judas Maccabeus' um, reaction to this? Well, let's see. But when they found on each of the dead men, under their tunics, amulets of the idols taken from Jamnia, which the law prohibits to Jews, it became clear to everyone that this was why these men had lost their lives. All then blessed the ways of the Lord, the just judge, who brings hidden things to light and gave themselves to prayer, begging that the sin committed might be fully blotted out. Next to the valiant Judas, urged the people to keep themselves free from all sin, having seen with their own eyes the effects of sin of those who had fallen. After this, he took a collection from them individually, amounting to nearly 2,000 drachmae, and sent it to Jerusalem to have a sacrifice for sin offered, an altogether fine and noble action, in which he took full account of the resurrection. For if he had not expected the fallen to rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. Whereas if he had in view the splendid recompense reserved for those who make a pious end, the thought was holy and devout. This was why he had this atonement sacrifice offered for the dead, so that they might be released from their sin. I think that's a really beautiful passage and one that we, uh, we have at the Office of Readings in, in November. But there are a few things that we can notice there. One, that they've, that they've committed sin. What, what, is his, what is his reaction? His reaction is to recognize it, give praise to the Lord for bringing these things to light so that recompense can be made on their behalf, so that expiation can be made on behalf of their sins, that their sins might be fully blotted out. And what does he do? He asks for a sacrifice to be offered. Now, of course, as Catholics, we have the holy sacrifice of the mass. Jesus is one eternal sacrifice offered for the holy souls. Also, he prays he prays for the dead. So it's not only that he has the sacrifice for sin, off, uh, uh, this the sin offering uh, sacrificed in, in Jerusalem, but he also carries on sort of praying for the dead. And it says that it's a fine and noble action in which he took full account of the resurrection. So the reason why he does these things is because he believes in the resurrection. And it says if he doesn't believe in the resurrection, then it would have been foolish and superfluous. There'd be no no point to it. But precisely because he believes in the resurrection, he prays for the dead. And it's a holy and devout, pious end. It's a pious thing to do for, for the dead. I always find that a very moving uh, very moving, um Peace, but it's by no means the only part of scripture where we uh, find out about the state that one, that there is something, something else after death that's not simply heaven or hell. Um, uh, St. John Chrysostom from the early church, he talks about the book of Job and he says that Job's sons purified, Job's sons were purified by their father's sacrifice. Therefore, ours too can bring consolation. So our prayers, our penances, our sacrifices can bring consolation for those who have died. But it's not just that, is it? It's also there are also things in the also things in the New Testament too. There are, but
1: if I may reflect on that yeah, beforehand, um, because this passage, which I will be reading in a moment, um, doesn't have this element to it. I, I think it does. It emphasises the point that it's unitive, that we are the church, and so therefore we we pray for one another. You know the mass is offered for us all,
0: mm-hmm. not
1: just us all as individuals, but us all as a collective. Yes. Yeah, you know, and so when we when we pray for the souls in purgatory, that is for the greater good of the church. In all, it is to make more saints. And mm-hmm. so when we do, like like in the Maccabees, we pray for the holy souls. It is because we are united. We are the body of Christ. All destined for heaven. If that is the judgment of God, then that is where we are all going, you know. And so when we partake in that, we can partake in the purification of one another by aiding each other in this life, but also in purgatory. Yes. And so, too, the saints aid us, you know, through their intercessions now. So there is the, the church is, in a sense, throughout these states it is in heaven. It is on earth and it is in purgatory, the church. The body of Christ, all destined for heaven. So that, just because that's not in this particular passage. So I thought I'd highlight that whilst it's there.
0: I I think that's actually a very important thing to remember. And it relates as well to how uh, God chooses to save us how he wills to save us and and what he uh how he designs in his providence things to be. He makes us codependent on each other. We're yes. co-relational beings. We are supposed to help each other out. We're not islands, you know, no man is an island, Thomas Merton. I don't think he was the first one to coin the phrase, but he's he's uh, one of the famous people who, who loves saying the phrase, he wrote a book called No Man is an Island, in fact. It was a good book. But yeah, we're not just sort of siloized individuals who don't have any impact on each other's salvation. It's true to say that we say faith, hope, and love are gifts from God, but we are opportunities of expressions of charity for each other. You know, show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my my faith by my works, as we read in James. We are opportunities for love for one another. And the, this is a saving, salvific action. And um, So we are opportunities for grace for each other. We are instruments, uh, instrumental causes of, of God's grace. And think about how you came to faith. Think about how you came to saving faith. Yes, faith is a gift from God. Just find faith is a gift from God. And yet we also say that we hand on or that we tradition faith to others. Tradition tradition just meaning to hand on. We hand on the faith to others. It's a non-competitive vision of salvation. It's not that um, we and God are in perpetual conflict all the time about absolutely everything. When we sin, we do choose to walk away from God when we sin. But if we're not sinning, then actually we should have faith and confidence that we're working together and participating in the life of the Lord and in his mission.
1: And therefore the salvation of all souls
0: the salvation of all souls yes exactly and it's a great act of charity a great act of love to pray for the dead not only those who we know but also perhaps those who we've wronged or those who have wronged us uh or even the greatest sinners because as we as the church prays we do pray for all souls to be saved we don't know that all souls will be saved but in the church's liturgy, in the church's prayers, we pray that all souls may be saved. As we read in, I think it's the first letter of, of Timothy, that God wills all souls to be saved. God wills all people to be saved. Now, that still leaves people free to accept or to reject him. Mm. But we pray for it. Absolutely we do. And we, we must pray for it because it's an act of charity. Why should we hope for, for salvation for ourselves and not for others? Even those who have gone before us marked with the sign of faith.
1: Christ died for us all. That includes us, but it is not so exclusive that it was for us on our own and everyone else can be damned. It is not our own version of Christ. I think I think many people, even in their in their in their particular faiths, can look at Christ and always paint themselves there instead. Mm. Um, and, but that's just not the case. And so we must act as a church. We must act together as we are all conformed to him, not him to us. Mm. And so when we pray for one another, including those who are the holy souls. We can trust that, you know, the holy souls, when they get to heaven, we pray that they will be praying for us, too. You know, these things are intrinsically unitive. Mm. The
0: church is more than just the people we see around us. And isn't that wonderful? Yes. And that's yes. one of the things that I love about, about um, thinking about the, the saints. Actually, you had a very interesting thing that you said to me the other day about the saints and demons, where you're saying, you know, well, if, you know, the devils are prowling around for the ruin of souls. Then the know? saints must be more free. Yeah,
1: in, in 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 helping us in helping the salvation of souls. Yes, the the saints
0: are more free than 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 the than the demons are, and in yeah. in, in every they are seen yeah. in a sense as being engaged in hell. In a certain mm. sense, the demons and devils and, soul. and so on. They participate in the inner life of God and his his creative yeah. love for all the saints, uh, for, for yes. all creatures. Yeah, yes,
1: and so yes, the saints are free and very willing to help. <laughs> And so, I mean, that was a total side note. We must also be asking for their intercessions. Though that's less about the holy souls, though they are
0: holy souls. Yeah. But well, this is, not a, necessarily this is so guitar, a very yeah. interesting point on prayer. And th- this, this is absolutely fantastic. Yes, making making sure that you do ask for, for things. Mm. The Lord says, doesn't he, in the Gospels, um, that your father knows what you need before you even ask of it. But he still wills you to ask. Why? Because he wills you to be a true cause he wishes you to be a cause of things he wishes to give you things because you've asked for them so so ask for graces ask for things for from the lord you know um he wills you to be a, yes he is the, the cause of our salvation yes from him all good things come but he wants us to ask him for them so he can grant them in order that we too can be true causes um and participate in his life and and in his work and in his mission uh, through through our power of intercession. Um, so it is, yes, truly properly ascribed to the Lord, but it is no less ascribed to us because we ask. You know, um, it's it's non-competitive. It's oh, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. so you, you actually have a, a passage there from the Gospel of Luke, which I had never thought about in terms of purgatory before, and I found it very interesting. Yes. Um, yeah. So, yes. I
1: think well, the, I the great misconception that you don't find purgatory in the New Testament great misconception and especially a greater misconception that jesus never spoke about it because this is one of the parables that jesus spoke he spoke so this is i think i think it's quite blunt personally so it's it's from luke chapter 12 verse let me see verse 41 peter said lord are you telling me this are you telling this parable for everyone and the lord said who then is the faithful and prudent manager whom his master will put in charge of his slaves to give them their allowance of food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. Truly I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all his possessions. So that slave is going to heaven, effectively. That's what this parable is saying. Um, but if that slave says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and if he begins to beat other slaves, men and women, and eat, and drink and get drunk, that master the master of that slave will come on that day when he does not expect him at an hour that he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful so hell that slave who knew what his master wanted but did not prepare himself or do what was wanted will receive a severe beating which is purgatory and must be must be distinct from the i think it was the second slave which then being cut to pieces and put with the unfaithful it's a severe beating but he's not being killed (laughs) and he's not being fired he is and he's not with the unfaithful he he did what the master wanted but he hadn't prepared himself um but one who did not know um and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating from everyone to whom as much has been given much will be required from one to whom much has been entrusted even more will be demanded and so that last one is is innocence Mm. didn't know yes And that's directly from Christ. You know, I mean, and the context of this parable is um a the analogy is a a bridegroom has has left the house the bridegroom being christ it's a classic um classic name for christ is the divine bridegroom yeah um
0: and this is something of course that you find in the old testament when you oh throughout the lord is the lord is associated with the bridegroom christ is associated as the bridegroom it's telling you that christ is the lord exactly christ is the bridegroom christ is the lord i love
1: it it's so explicit in hosea where it says um god lord um Israel into the wilderness and spoke tenderly to her and I thought it's a, the, the divine honeymoon in Hosea is quite exciting I think that's a total <laughs> aside but there you go enjoy that um but yes so and the, the master is away and then these slaves you see are react in these four different ways which show in a sense the four different judgments I suppose in a certain sense two of yeah. which being the eternal judgments heaven and hell there yeah. is purgatory and then there is innocence which you could speak about on another time and I'll, I won't make you promise you'll do it but it would be interesting
0: well, there is somewhere else actually in the Scripture as well that I think we can uh, gain an understanding of poetry, also on the lips of Christ. Uh, and this actually is not my own my own idea. I get this from Gregory the Great, uh, a, a great pope, for a reason, <laughs> for a reason. Yeah, a Pope uh, who is very influential, uh, obviously in the early Church, and he's uh, he's commenting on this passage from Matthew twelve. So Matthew twelve thirty two. Uh, Jesus says, whoever speaks a word against the son of man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Now, he says, well, that passage clearly says that we can there are some things for which we can be forgiven in this life and there are some things that we can be forgiven for in the next life. Purgatory, that place where those of us who die in a state of friendship with God and yet still need to be purified in some way, we can have those things for forgiven of us. I mean, I remember you talking about achieving a particular state of perfection rather than just expiating sin and things like that. You were talking about I was thinking of diamonds and I said, you know, you can you cut diamonds and you polish diamonds. And if diamonds were sensitive creatures who could feel things, then it'd be quite painful, wouldn't it? But uh, it's still to achieve a greater sort of perfection, a sort of sparkly shininess of a diamond. Um, exactly. we'll, we will be perfected in purgatory. Mm-hmm.
1: And that is the, the bad things from us being um, purified. Being you thought about up, a mirror, didn't but you? But then the good things also being enhanced to their perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and yeah, I, I thought the analogy of a mirror was quite interesting where one must polish a mirror. And sometimes you have to use things that depends on the state of the mirror. It can mm-hmm. be relatively abrasive we get to get really entrenched dirt off or whatever it is Mm. um and if that mirror could feel it would be painful but it is i I like the mirror understanding because it is to perfectly reflect and so too when we are perfectly reflected perfectly polished as it were through purgatory it is to perfectly reflect the divine love of god and to partake in that fully in heaven absolutely yeah absolutely as we believe the saints do yeah you
0: know and so that's the thing when we talk about purgatory it's all about love really you know it's a a purifying love uh, and being perfected in charity um so thomas aquinas when he talks about you know the uh, faith hope and charity he says you know faith will go because you don't have faith in heaven because you see god as he is And then he says, hope will go because you've achieved your end. Because what we hope for is to be united with God for all eternity. And in heaven, you are united with God for all eternity. But what lasts? Charity. And this is why it's the greatest. Charity lasts because Deus caritas est. God is love. God is charity. And this charity perfects us it perfects us it it um, purifies us from from our sin you know charity covers a multitude of sins uh, where's that saying from i don't have a quote off hand but
1: <laughs> as catholics we don't believe in different truths and different loves and all of these things i mean there are different words for love in greek that's a whole other topic and different types of love and that you say romantic love and brotherly love and so on but love in itself it isn't something which is in a sense personal it is there is the divine love and we share in that mm, so we're yeah. not offering our own love we're reflecting the greatest love
0: yeah i i would i would think about it in terms of being actually the most personal love because of course trinity yeah. being the father oh, yes. the son and the holy spirit it's
1: not we're an independent source of love oh are, yes, yeah
0: yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking We partake in, in, in love, God's like, love. Exactly. Yes, yes. we're we not have, our own. Source God's of love thro- flows through us in a way which is is uh, properly properly ascribed to us, but no less ascribed uh, ascribed to the Lord. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of what you're saying. Reminds me a little bit of Teresa of Avila. But you know, Christ has no hands now uh, on earth but yours. No feet now on earth but yours. And Mother Teresa, when she sort of says, may people no longer see me, but only Christ in me. Uh, John the Baptist, I must decrease, he must increase. uh, Things like that. So there's a great uh, sort of... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Not progeny. What's the opposite of progeny? A great ancestry. (laughs) A great ancestry (laughs) sort of there uh, of of what you're saying. becoming
1: Christ-like. Yes,
0: yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's also something which is properly of us, but it is also a sort of a reflection of... It's something that's both internal and external because it's something that yes is of god and so uh, in a certain sense god is without us, god is outside of us i mean but also in another sense we are temples of the holy spirit so god also dwells within us in a very personal way in a very unique way mm. uh, and in a way in which we can cooperate yeah in a way that we can cooperate with him i was doing some christology sort of essays Uh, This week in looking at the relationship between the divine and the human uh, in Christ and how actually when we are divinized, I I suppose, when we are brought up into that inner relationship uh, with God, it shows how God and the human person, well, that's perhaps misleading because, of course, Jesus is, of course, a divine person with two natures. But it shows how the divine and the human are non-competitive and can live and dwell in harmony side by side you know without one being denigrated by the other and without one being obliterated by the other um
1: and Christ is the great sign of that the great
0: sign yeah of that bridge of that of, yeah. of that of that mediation
1: that perfect compatibility
0: yes yeah so anyway we are reaching the end of our time here uh, on the podcast but uh, thank you very much for joining us and uh yeah do pray for the for the souls of the dead uh, I want to uh, just finish with a quick quotation from Matthew 5. So Matthew 5:21 to 26, this is. You have heard it said to those that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or a sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or a sister, you'll be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This also reminds me back of the of the quote from Maccabees, where when they see the the sin of, of the fallen, he exhorts people not to sin because he sees as as St Paul says, the wages of sin is death. So choose life. But just coming to that quote from Matthew there, come to terms quickly with your accuser while you can on your way to court put your affairs in order and sort of set things right with your brother and sister if you know that somebody uh, has something against you you can you can try to apologize and make amends whether they accept your apology is up to them in another matter but at least you can try and you you can you can uh, try to make amends you can try to perform a a work of Restitution or penance. Let's say we've stolen something. We can. We might not. Maybe we've stolen thousands and thousands of pounds, and we can't pay it back. But we might be able to do something. We might be able to make some form of penance, some sort of of restitution. And in verse twenty six, truly, I will tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. But we can pay that debt for others. So there may be those who we know who have died and have not atoned for their sins um as they should have or made penance as as they as they should have but we can pray for them and perform acts of charity for them and pay the jailer too uh that that of course is is a metaphorical analogy uh, analogy there that Jesus is using it in, in Matthew 5 that's a sort of an image which can help us to try and understand what's happening there metaphysically. So yes, let's pray for the dead, and perform works of charity and uh, penance, especially uh, for the holy souls in purgatory in this month of November, and also uh, for ourselves. And maybe we should just finish with a prayer for the dead. Eternal Father, we offer you the body, blood, soul, and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ in union with the masses said throughout the whole world today, for the holy souls in purgatory, for sinners who are to die this day, and those who are most in need of your mercy. Eternal rest grant unto the faithful departed, O Lord. Let perpetual light shine upon them, and may they rest in peace. Amen. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us again on the Light from Light podcast. God bless you.